<laughs> so they show up at the diner, and uh, he's in his greaser jacket, and she's in a cute yellow mm. dress, and they walk up to the diner, and they realize, like, it's actually pretty packed. Like, it's yeah. popping. Like, people are dancing, eating. Like, a, a good chunk of the high school student body is there. And so Danny is like, let's go somewhere else. And she's like, why? And he's like, it's really because he doesn't want them to see him on a mm-hmm. date with Sandy. But he tells her it's because we can't be alone here, which is also true. If his friends see him, they're going to gravitate to him. And he knows that. Um, but that's that's the excuse he gives her, which is also true. But she convinces him like, no, he runs in really fast, holding her hand. He tries to hide, and Duty immediately sees him. Like, it's not hard to recognize Danny. <laughs> right, right. And, I mean, he, like, I mean, Sandy even says a line about, like, how he pulled her so hard and fast. Like, she, um, he, she, I'm sorry, he almost pulled her arm out of the socket. Sorry, I couldn't say that line. <laughs> Um, yeah, and then he's like, and then he's covering them up. He's like creating a little border wall between themselves and the rest of the restaurant with menus. And he's like, why well, do I want to miss this table? It's the best table they got. I think this is probably my favorite scene aside from the dance off in this film um, because it is so fun to watch all the kids in the background. They're like eating, they're dancing, they're talking. And then I love as the T-Birds and the Pink Ladies gradually come and join them and make this big crowd. And it's a really cute and funny scene when you watch all the different characters doing their own thing. Yes, and it makes me miss like our high school eating out days. Like just to be so carefree and like that was just like what we did, you know? You know, when I think about us going out to eat in high school, one of my fondest memories was it might have been junior year mm-hmm. and we I went to see you guys in the high school fashion show at your school and then right after that we went to King Walk and it was my first time ever at King Walk. Oh my god, I do remember this. I remember It was me, you, Rissy, Nick, Farhan. Mhm. Mhm. Yes, there's all of us. Oh, that was a good night. So when I think of like us there, that's kind of like our equivalent of like being at the diner and like sharing Eskimo pie and like shit like that. Like, you know, it's it's cool. Like it's like you said when we did the Breakfast Club episode, like eating is a social thing. And when you eat, you want to be with your friends. Absolutely. And so that's I think that's another reason why I really love this scene is it really does kind of take you back to like those days and those moments and good times. Oh, yeah, that was, this is one of my favorite scenes, too. Um, And it's just like you said, it's so fun to see everyone. We see everyone's personality. Like, we see Rizzo's, obviously, like, something is bothering her from the way she's talking, her mannerisms. We see Kaneki kind of being a dick, though, not talking to her nice. He calls her, like, a wet, wet, wet mop, wet sponge. I always get those two confused. You got the personality of a wet sponge or wet mop. Yeah, and um, yeah, every time she kind of says something, he kind of has like a clap back almost. And um, so it's interesting because like first it does start off with just Danny and Sandy and they order food and he really just wants it to be the two of them. And they start joking around and Danny starts to loosen up a little and then Kaniki pops up and he, he pulls up a table for him and Rizzo and they sit down with Danny and Sandy. Yeah, you're right. Like you can tell something's on her mind. 
And she, and Kinnick is like, oh, you got a couple quarters? We could split an Eskimo pie. And she's like, yeah, my Dutch free days are over. And he's like, you plan on staying home a lot. And, like, he's just kind of being really insensitive. Like, he's not able to read the room as far as Rizzo. And he's just got all the wrong responses here. Yeah. But I do love when Sandy's like, oh, Rizzo, how are you? And she's like, peachy keen, jelly bean. Like, me and my sisters still say that. <laughs> I love that. And then she invites him over for tea. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's so fucking funny, the tea part. <laughs> like, well, I don't like, I don't like tea. <laughs> Like, well, you don't have to drink tea. I don't like parents. <laughs> and everybody laughs. It is so, it's so cute because at that point, like, the rest of the T-Birds and the Pink Ladies are all gathered around and they're literally, like, back and forth like a ping pong match, like, watching him talk and her mm-hmm. talk and him talk. And then they, <laughs> it is so cute. It is adorable. And they're just, like, on the edge waiting to see what he's going to say and what they're talking about mm-hmm. but I do love that they have obviously like kind of accepted the fact like they don't make a big deal about Danny being there with Sandy you know like they don't be like it's not like um judgmental like you're here with her exactly and that's one of the reasons why it just ugh, their love story is so weird to me because like obviously they know he has a thing for Sandy. They know they have a history, and none of them really seem bothered by it. The only one who really thinks that it is a big deal or that it would matter to anyone is Danny, really. Mm-hmm. So that's frustrating. But yeah, and it's kind of cute because while the other characters are talking, Sandy is like trying to hold Danny's hand, but Danny is just so annoyed that like they're there. And he wants to be alone with her, and he he thinks that they're thinking less of him, and yeah, he's just he's not able to enjoy the night the way he wanted to. All right, he's stuck in his own head about it, like you said, and it just it ruins the moment. Um, when in fact his friends were showing that they were very accepting. Yeah, yeah. I don't think they any of them had an issue. I mean, they never brought it up. Like you said, he openly goes to the dance with her later and nobody cares. Like, Danny's making it a big deal. Nobody else is. Yep. Agreed. Um, and so then uh, that's when the, the cute Putsy and Jan exchange happens. <laughs> and um, I, I love that part so much because he offers her food. She's like, no. He's like, you sure are a cheap date. And she like kind of makes a face. And he's like, oh, I didn't mean it the way it came out she's like I understand and he's like I always thought you were a very understanding person and I also think that there's more to you than just fat <laughs> this part always I was like you have no idea how to talk to girls none but I appreciated his honesty and she found it adorable she did because she was like well thank you thanks <laughs> And then, and then I love the next part because he says, you got a date for a dance-off? She goes, no. And the way he says, want to go? And she's like, yeah. And it's just so fucking cute. I love Putsy yeah. and Jan. It is adorable. And then she's like, you know, I've been dieting all day. My mom's pie is better than this. You want to get some? And that's when we get that line, you know, remember 15 minutes. So 
the guys are pulling for him here. <laughs> yes, yes. So Putsy presumably loses his virginity tonight. And uh, this is when the guys all start to split. Marty's going to go home. She has to study for an algebra test. Sonny says he's going to escort her home. Duty's going to go ahead and leave too. But uh, Frenchie says she wants to stay. And Frenchie has her hair covered up for some reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after that, it's just Danny, Sandy, Rizzo, Kanicki, and Frenchie. And that's when Sandy's like, oh, I'm worried about the dance-off. What if the dance different here? Rizzo's like, oh, don't worry about it. Maybe we'll invent the kangaroo bop. And she she laughs at her own joke, and then Kanicki, like, mocks her. Yes, and I didn't know if she meant it, like, to be rude, and Kanicki took it the wrong way, or, I mean, took it that way, or if he totally misinterpreted her tone. Because, you know, Rizzo does kind of have that dry sense of humor, um, or it's kind of like that sarcastic sense of humor. And I thought she was genuinely being, like, trying to make her feel better, like, kind of lighten the mood. But maybe I mistook that. Rizzo is so complex. <laughs> There's so many things she can mean in the different things that she says, right? Right. It's so hard um, to read. But I always kind of took it as she's she's genuinely joking because really what's what are the first few things that you learn about Australia is, you know, they have kangaroos and everything is upside down. Right. Uh, and then I think the toilet water goes in the opposite direction, but not really. So And they eat Vegemite. That's all I know. Yeah. yeah. And they spread Vegemite on toast. So <laughs> um, I, my, I always interpret it as like Rizzo is just making a bad joke, but she thinks she's funny. And Kaniki mocks her because her joke wasn't funny. Oh, that's rude. He's not exactly being nice tonight either. So he's everything he does is just... She's had it up to here at this point. She's pissed. Yeah, she's done with him. He's he's definitely on the outskirts. And then we get, uh, you know, everyone leaves, and somehow Kaniki and them get left with the tab, even though I'm sure it's probably a total of like three dollars. <laughs> um, and he rudely tells Rizzo to give him money. Yeah, he's not remotely nice about. It. That's when he calls her a wet mop, and she's mm-hmm. like, "Don't start with me." And then he's like, okay, why don't I finish with you, huh? And then she wastes a perfectly good and what looked like delicious strawberry Mm -hmm. milkshake. Or was it a malt? I believe it was a malt milkshake. Um, Now, any flavor can be malt. It's a malt powder that they add. But that's what gives it that frothy thickness, if you will. Okay. Because I always thought that when she tosses it on him, it looks very thin. I think they purposely did it for that scene so that it would go everywhere. Because think about if you pour a milkshake out, um, it's not going to come out as fast as this one. You're right. It would be like thicker. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And it wouldn't wouldn't go everywhere. And, you know, it wouldn't have splashed the way it did on Frenchie. You're right. So it was a movie magic milkshake. Yes, it was a, a movie magic malt milkshake. Ooh, say that. Three times fast. Ooh, no, you do. A movie magic malt milkshake. Movie magic malt milkshake. Movie. That's not fast. Movie magic. <laughs> I can't say it. Movie magic. You're thinking about it. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. So she wastes that milkshake, which mm, I already told Frankie about this, but this movie made me want to eat nothing but burgers and milkshakes. Oh, I'm craving them so bad. She's gonna get them, guys. Don't you worry. <laughs> 
she straight up splashes it in Kaneki's face and then she storms out and Kaneki follows her and oh and another thing that really made me cringe she tosses his t-bird jacket in his face with the milkshake on it so then the jacket gets all fucked yeah it hurts it hurts yeah and so then that's when Frenchie is left alone and the diner is closing and we once again get Frenchie, who we know has dropped out, and she's gone to the La Capri Beauty School. Um, she takes her covering off, and her hair is pink. And I love Vi's line. She's like, I hate to tell you this, but your hair looks like an Easter egg. And Frenchie, in her adorable way, is like, you know, I had a little trouble in tinting class. I had a little trouble in all my classes. Um, and she's second-guessing her choice. And she's asking about waitressing. Vi's like, you're too young. She's going through, like, all the typical careers for a woman back then. Waitress, uh, the tell, what are they called? The teller, teleoper, what are those people called? Telephone, op- she, well, she says it's telephone operator. Okay, yeah, those people with all the things around their head, you know, like the very typical, like, switching lines. Um, and then she just kind of sits down and she is, uh, Welcomed to the Teen Angels, her Teen Angel shows up and sings one of our other honorable mentions. Yeah, um, a beauty school dropout. Uh, which, by the way, can I ask you, have you ever met anyone who liked this song or scene? No, I don't really like it. I will be honest, this is probably my least favorite, and I've never really been fond of it. I just thought that the song was really rude in encouraging her to go back to school I mean he says no one would like her unless you're she's a hooker like I mean that is not okay this is definitely a skip for me even I think the first time I ever watched this and my sister was sitting next to me watching it she a straight up re like she fast forwarded this part because she even she was like oh you, this isn't important <laughs> so right. she let me skip it and every time I watched Grease after that, I always skipped it. Like as soon as the the twinkling lights start up on Frenchie and she turns around and sees the bright light, that was my cue to hit the button. And then uh, I wouldn't hit play until I saw the T-Birds flying off with their angel wings. I was going to say that's the only part I like is the T-Birds flying because they have their chucks on. <laughs> and the costumes are kind of cute like the girls have these marge simpson looking hair roller structures yeah. on their heads but it's not and like rizzo is a part of it marty and jan are there as well as all the other common chorus girls that you see throughout the film in the forefront but the the song and the scene and i agree with you actually the the because i did actually sit and watch the scene at least twice for this research uh and mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. Like the lyrics are kind of harsh and, you know, there are better ways to say it. To me, we could have gone a different route. Um, So not my favorite song. I know we said honorable mention for everything. This one would probably be my last on the list song, if I'm being totally honest. Honestly, um, when we talked about like, okay, we're going to put the rest of them as honorable mentions. I almost texted you and said, except for beauty school dropout, right? But I didn't. <laughs> because I really don't like I'm it. I'm glad we're on the same page. Yeah. And I know that Frenchie talks about the scene or I'm sorry, Dee Dee talks about the scene because she actually really was 
smitten by Frankie Avalon. And you can tell in her eyes, like, when she's watching him, like, she has him on that pedestal, you know? And then to hear those words from him, like, I would be like, all right, fuck you. I don't like you anymore. Yeah, yeah. Never meet your heroes, right? (laughs) Yes. Don't do it. It's a skippable scene. It doesn't really pertain to much else. It's whatever. But um, anyway, right after that, uh, we get a brief scene at the auto shop. They're still working on Grease Lightning. Um, And they make it pretty clear that some of the parts they are putting on this car are stolen. I mean, you got to do what you got to do. I mean, I don't absolutely don't encourage it, but I was saying like, you know, they, they did what they did. They, they had a goal and they accomplished it however they could. <laughs> Way to accomplish your goal, guys. Yeah. And then we're back at school and we see that the TV station is unloading their equipment. So that means the dance-off is coming up very, very soon. Yes. And we have a dilemma. The girls... Marty and Rizzo don't have dates. Nope, because Rizzo and Kaniki are not speaking. They've broken up. Uh, she completely ignores him when she sees him. And when Danny asks if you're going to go to the dance, Kaniki says, I'm going to have the hottest date there. And that alludes to it not being Rizzo. And uh, that was always a little upsetting. But, you know, Rizzo is never one to be down. And she sees Scorpion leader Crater Face drive by, and she goes for it. She sure does. She All she does is, like, she smiles at him, and he stops, and he revs up his engine. She grabs Marty, and they jump in his car and drive off. So, I mean, it's a power play, for sure. Oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And uh, I, I think she wins. If I had to choose, I would say probably... Kaniki got the upper hand on her because we see her react to Kaniki. We don't really see Kaniki react to her and who she's with. Um, Let me clear what I mean. So when I say that she won, like when they first get to the dance and he sees her with his sworn enemy, he's not happy. That's what I mean. She went for like, let me go after your sworn enemy. He went after, let me go for the girl who I think, like, everyone knows is a whore. And everyone just knows she has a reputation. Got it. Okay. I see what you mean now. As far as, like, who they chose. Yes. Like, like she went for the kill. No, yeah. You're right. She went for the rival gang leader. Mm-hmm. And Kaniki went for someone who other people would think gave him some at the end of the night. Exactly. Exactly. No. Okay. I definitely see how you mean that. And yes, I think that that's definitely true. In that in that case, like, again, like, it does kind of, I wish I could see Kaniki's reaction to Rizzo showing up with Leo because we don't see that. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I would have liked to see him get upset, as just as upset as she did, because she was shocked and Leo almost went over there and jumped him. Yeah, they almost, they have a scene and they break it up. They have to mm-hmm. break it up in there. Yeah. Yeah, they actually get hands on each other. So it's just, speaking of the dance-off, we're already on that part. So (laughs) um, the dance-off is uh, happening, and the school gym is all decked out. There's streamers. There's a giant uh, Rydell Ranger made out of paper mache and, according to Sunny, toilet paper. And that was made by Eugene Felsnick and Patty Simcox, and they're very proud of it. They are. It's 
crappy. <laughs> it is. It is kind of crappy. It looks like a child's project. No it offense does. to children. <laughs> to children I'm sure whatever is on your mom's refrigerator is really beautiful cuz no offense to children that is hilarious <laughs> <laughs> yeah because all the kids are listening <laughs> any hooters but uh one fun little fact about the uh beginning of the dance off is as people are walking in the song that's playing is rock and roll party queen which is another song from the stage play mm-hmm. and Louis St. Louis did the cover of this one correct I think he did. I didn't write it down, but I think you're right. Awesome. Love him. So um, everybody's arriving. We're seeing who everyone's with. Rizzo is with Leo. And technically, he brought Marty too, but she quickly separates herself from him. She pulls that hand off her. Yes. She's like, ah. Like she, I, she thinks he's kind of gross, I think. Um, I mean, I agree with her. She has her eyes on Vince Fontaine, who is the the older DJ on the radio that everybody knows and loves. Yes. And Sonny's really jealous because he, uh, she's not paying any attention to him. And rather, she'd rather follow Vince Fontaine around the whole time. If you like older guys. <laughs> hmm mm-hmm. uh, Danny and Sandy show up together. And oh, I love, his, his line always made me laugh. And she's like... Um, He's like, oh, well, you got to do is you got to make friends with the cameraman. You know the cameraman? Yeah, his name's Ted. <laughs> it just always cracked me up. He's just so casual and cool. Right. <laughs> like, yeah, let me just pick a name out of my app. <laughs> right before the dance-off officially, officially begins, uh, the producer gets on the mic and he's like, okay, we're going on the air shortly, but let's have a few uh, warm-up numbers from Johnny Casino and the Gamblers. And immediately that band who actually showed up late and we see them scrambling to set up, <laughs> mm-hmm. they are, the Johnny Casino and the Gamblers are portrayed by Sha Na Na and they cover Rock and Roll is Here to Stay. I have to say like the dance off is about 20 minutes of the entire film and I love this entire 20 minutes, top to bottom. There is so much that happens in this 20 minutes. And yes, it is It is one of the best scenes in this movie. And this is another instance where it's so fun to rewatch it again and again and again because you see something different every time. And if you watch the different background characters, they're so funny. Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing that I will say is I grew up with a, our living room TV was, um, it looked like the furniture. So it's like, it was the TV, but it had like a wooden border and there was like a side panel with the speaker and the little buttons and it looked like it had, uh, drawers, but they didn't actually open. I think most of you know what kind of TV I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, and that, that was not a widescreen TV. And so when I was watching Grease, a good chunk of the picture would get cut off. And it wasn't until years later when I finally watched a widescreen edition that I realized how much of each scene I was really missing. And that is something that kids these days don't have to worry about because everything is formatted with wide and regular screen. 
Yeah, and TVs are wider now too. Like they're not square anymore, like those big box ones. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The dance scenes, especially, are fun to rewatch with a widescreen because you see so much more, you catch so much more. These kids dance crazy. <laughs> But... How did all of them become professionally trained dancers in high school? Yeah, yeah. And that question was asked in Not Another Teen movie, and it was valid. <laughs> All the kids are just doing their thing and they're all amazing dancers and Frenchie's with Duty and Danny's with Sandy and it, it's a really fun scene and everyone's just like super. I love how as soon as the music picks up, all the kids just flood the floor, like the camera frame fills with people and dresses and everyone is so pretty. I think everyone, all the costumes are just so cute. Oh, yeah. All of the dresses are adorable. And um, every single dress is different. And I love that. Yeah, yeah. One thing that you, you really notice immediately is like, no two girls are really wearing the same color. Every kind of dress mm -hmm. is unique to the girl. And that's really cool. And I love how every girl, like even like the hair, the shoes, like they did a really good job of making sure that everyone was very individual. And what I read is that Pat Birch actually gave those uh, primary dancers all character names and backstories so that like throughout the movie, you actually see their stories play out if you watch them closely. Oh, nice. I didn't know that. Yeah, I only recently learned that. So I was like, crap, now I got to go back and watch it for all the different couples and like yeah. see what's happening. Um, but it's it's cool. So that's, I love that because that's also like a theater thing. Like I know me and you at some point we've played background characters, but we needed mm -hmm. to have like character analysis. We needed to have a background. We needed to have a motive. Absolutely. It makes your character, you know, mm -hmm. it makes mm -hmm. you more invested. A hundred percent agree. And if you're not doing it, then you need to. Yeah, and it's it helps you maintain a presence because it's like you're not just a character sitting in the back. You're a person who needs to get something done. You have to get from A to B and then get off the stage. And that just makes you look like you have more purpose as opposed to just you filling in a spot in a scene. But well said. I love that Pat Birch just put so much thought into like the choreography. I think she did amazing. And so... Um, I wanted to do some highlight on Sha Na Na. Um, Rock and Roll is Here to Stay is one of my choices, of course. Uh, but Sha Na Na actually provides all the music for the entire dance-off. And so obviously I can't talk about all their songs. The rest of the songs that they sing are going to be our honorable mentions, and I will name them shortly. But I did want to uh, go into a bit of the history on the song as well as the band because they make up one-third of the soundtrack, and they did such an amazing job. The dance-off is my favorite part in the entire film, and I just want them to get the recognition that I think they deserve. Yes, they did so good. Yes, and they looked amazing too. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, so Rock and Roll is Here to Stay was written by David White. He was born November 26, 1939. He was a singer, pianist, and songwriter. He is perhaps best known for the song that he co-wrote known as You Don't Own Me by Leslie Gore. 
So he recorded Rock and Roll is Here to Stay with his group, Danny and the Juniors. They were a doo-wop quartet from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. It was released in January 1958, and it hit number 19 on Billboard Hot 100, number 16 on the R&B chart. And the opening lyrics are, Rock and Roll is Here to Stay, It Will Never Die. And these lyrics were a response to the comments by conservative radio stations at the time who were condemning rock and roll records and i just don't understand why guys like there's so many different types of music let's just love them all so this was of course performed by johnny casino and the gamblers as they are known in the film but they are a real band and they are known as sha na na and they are a retro doo-wop group formed in 1969. Pat Birch, the choreographer, actually worked very closely with the band during the filming because she wanted to make sure that the tempo of the dance-off would match with the songs that they were playing. She's such a perfectionist. I love it. Oh, I know. I love it. Like, I think that she would be like our dream collaborator because she would think of things we don't even consider. I, I absolutely agree. Like, I think that I would love to collaborate with her. Throughout the dance-off, we do see various members of Shaanana. There is a total of 10 members on that stage during the dance-off. And it took hours, but I was able to match them up to who they are as far as who their names are. And I was able to get background information on all of them. So, I'm really proud of this. And I have a fun fact for you, Frankie. Oh, I'm excited. Okay, I'm going to shut up and listen. Okay. So um, I am going to post a photo of the band. What I want to do is I want to put them into Photoshop and put their names next to them so you guys can, like, identify them. And, Frankie, I'm sending you the picture right now so that you know who I'm talking about as I talk about them. Okay. Awesome. So I, I texted it to you. But first, we have... Lenny Baker, he is the uh, the white guy in the group with the mustache and the goatee, and he plays the saxophone. He's the saxophonist and the vocalist. He actually passed away in February of 2016, so rest in peace, Lenny. Hmm. And he was actually a member of Danny and the Juniors, who originally wrote and performed this song. Wow. Yeah, so it was. On, he went on to become a member of Sha Na Na. And he is the vocalist on Blue Moon from this soundtrack. So next we have John Bowser Bowman. And uh, Frankie, if you're looking at the photo, he is the one on the very left fixing his hair. Okay. And so John Bowser Bowman, he's the one, he's actually probably my favorite because when the T-Birds moon the camera, his mouth is so big when he's laughing. Oh, he's the one dying. He's the one who is cracking up, and he's always been my favorite one. So that's that's Bowser. Okay. And so he actually replaced founding member of Shanana, Alan Cooper, and he's actually still active as a musician, but he also delves into politics. He endorses the Democratic Party, and he is a spokesperson for the Committee to Preserve Social Security and Medicare. He is the president of Social Security Works, PAC. And he is part of an organization working to elect candidates who support protecting and expanding Social Security benefits. Let's just give this man the recognition he deserves. He's doing good work, guys. And he is the vocalist on the Born to Hand Jive song from this soundtrack. Awesome. Cool. Then we have Johnny Contardo. 
And he's the one who, in my opinion, looks like John Leguizamo. He's the one between Blanche and McGee in the photo. Yes, he does. (laughs) So he reminds me of John Leguizamo. His name is Johnny Contardo, and he was a vocalist for Sha Na Na, but he left the group in 1981. He is the singer for Those Magic Changes in Greece. He's the part where like Blanche is like on front of the stage, and she's staring at him, and he's singing to her. So that's Johnny. He's a damn mouth. She's a damn mess in the scene. She's so <laughs> fucking funny the entire dance off, dude. She really is. Um, so some other facts about Johnny. He attended Boston Conservatory of Music in 1983. He, he made an appearance in the movie Scarface. Oh. And if the source is to be believed, because, again, these guys, um, there's not a lot of info on them. And so some of the sources were unconfirmed. But if the source is to be believed, Johnny Contardo is still an active musician. Wow. Then we have Frederick Dennis Green. He is one of the founding members of Sha Na Na. And he is the only black guy in the photo. Mm -hmm. So he passed away September 2015. Rest in peace, Frederick. R.I.P. One thing that's cool about Sha Na Na, they actually had their own TV show. And he choreographed the majority of their routines on the show. Wow. His persona was being the most intelligent of the group, and he was known as Denny. One year before he was in Greece, he was in the Richard Pryor film called Grease Lightning. Oh my god, no way! Super fun. So that's interesting. Nice connection. Which, they're not actually connected at all, by the way, so that's really cool. There's no connection. That's really cool. He was one of the members of Sha Na Na when Sha Na Na played Woodstock in 1969. Frederick went on to serve on the board of directors for the Society of American Law Teachers, and he was a professor of law at the University of Dayton School of Law until his death. One source claimed that he was a successful movie executive, but there is nothing on IMDb for him that is unrelated to Sha Na so I don't think that that was accurate. Um, but he did teach entertainment law, so maybe that's where they got mixed up. Okay, entertainment law, that's interesting. Yeah. That's a very specific field. Yeah. And then lastly, Frederick is the vocalist on the Tears on My Pillow song from this soundtrack. I love that one. All right, so next we have Jaco Marcelino. And if you look at the photo, Frankie, he's the guy in the back with the curl down his forehead and the mustache. Okay, so the very typical greaser hair also, like that one little ringlet, if you will. Yeah, that's him in the back, and he is the original drummer for Sha Na Na. Nice. And he is actually still with Sha Na Na because they are still active. He is one of the last original members still in Sha Na Na, and he started drumming at the age of seven. He formed a group called The Pilgrims with saxophonist Lenny Baker, who I mentioned before. Then Jocko invited Lenny to join Sha Na Na when they formed. So for the 35th anniversary of Greece, Sha Na Na appeared at the Hollywood Bowl for Greece's sing-along presented by the Los Angeles Philharmonic. The event was hosted by Didi Khan and the special guest drummer was Dave Grohl. Yes! Okay, I actually didn't know that fact, and I was so excited. (laughs) That is so cool. So cool. It gets better. I love it. Keep going. So, Jocko was present at this 35th anniversary sing-along. He was one of the band members who performed. 
And he really didn't mind that Dave Grohl sat in on a song for drums because Dave Grohl is married to his niece. What? Dave Grohl is directly connected to the band in Greece. You lie. Are you proud? (laughs) I'm so proud. Holy crap. Yup. That is amazing. He is his nephew-in-law. Shut up. What are the odds? Pretty fucking cool. What are the odds? Pretty fucking cool. That is so damn cool. Yep, yep. Bow down to Misa, guys. Let's just take a moment. (laughs) That That was some awesomeness right there. Yay. Yay. Okay, cool. So that was that the was fact. Fucking awesome. That was the fact that I've been dying to tell you. Dude, <laughs> I am super impressed. Yes. Yay. Okay, cool. <laughs> and then we have a few more members. Again, guys, some of the info on them was hard to find. And so I, I typed in what I could as much as I knew that was accurate. And then maybe some things that aren't. So we have Dave Chico Ryan, and he is the bassist. Uh, he's got the white bass guitar. So you'll see him on the very right. Okay. That's Dave Chico Ryan. He passed away in 1998. He was the bassist for Sha Na Na. He joined in 1973. And this is unconfirmed. But um, it might be easy to find if I if I look at YouTube and try to look at their TV show clips. But um, apparently on the Sha Na Na TV show, he was known for roller skating or yo-yoing while performing. He, uh, <laughs> he was a showman. Yes, for yes. sure. Um, so then we also have Danny McBride was really easy to identify because he actually is wearing a strap in the movie. That says Danny with rhinestones. Okay, yeah. So thank you, Danny, for making it so easy for me. <laughs> Danny McBride, he is the guitarist. You see him best when um, Johnny Casino and the Gamblers are performing Hound Dog. And then the guitarist jumps up with the red guitar and he starts kind of going into the guitar part. That's Danny. Danny graduated in high school in 1963. He was part of a successful group called the Cavaliers. But he eventually joined Sha Na Na and he appeared on the TV show. He did voiceover work, and he wrote humor pieces for magazines, and he passed away in 2009. Wow. Yeah, so unfortunately, a lot of them have passed of uh, various causes, um, but hey, they live on through the soundtrack. <laughs> then we have Scott Powell. He is another founding member of Sha Na Na. On the TV show, he was also known as Tony Santini. He is the tall, balding man who sings Hound Dog at the dance-off. Okay, and I love, I want to just touch base on that super fast. I love how they switch off. Like, it's not just one person singing. Me too. I love seeing them switch. Just It's kind of like they, they switched depending on the song and the vocal styles. Yes, and I love that because I feel like it makes me think of um, Howl at the Moon. Like how everyone is so um, instrumentally advanced and they can switch all the different roles. Like it's not always the same person singing, you know? Scott Powell, uh, he also performed on the TV show. He often covered the songs by Elvis Presley. So it's kind of cool because in this movie he got to do Hound Dog, which he was known to cover on the show. He actually left the band in 1981 and he became an orthopedic surgeon. That's, that's different. Yeah. Yeah. Then we have Screamin' Scott Simon. And if you look at the photo, he's the guy peeking right over Coach Calhoun's shoulder. And he is the piano player for Sha Na Na. And um, he actually co-wrote the song Sandy for this film. 
So cool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then the last guy we have is Donnie Donald York. So he was the hardest to identify um, because he is usually seen and photographed with his sunglasses on. Oh, okay. And it, it was also hard to identify him because, you know, you type these guys' names in and just group photos of Shauna Na come up and none of the captions tell you, like, from left to right, that's Lenny, that's Dave, that's Danny. None of them have that. I was going to say, this must have taken quite some time for real. It took a lot of work. It got to the point where, like, I had to walk away from it because I was getting confused. <laughs> because a lot of them look the same. Like, it, it was hard to look back at photos of them when four of them all had the same style hair. Right, right. I can only imagine. You did a great job identifying them. <laughs> Thanks, hon. It took a lot of effort. Um, so Donnie Donald York, uh, he is one of the vocalists. Um, if you look him up, you're going to see a lot of photos and even photos of him as he's gotten older wearing his sunglasses, which he never wears in the film, by the way. But that was his signature. It was he wore sunglasses. <laughs> um, and so I didn't find a whole lot of info on him, but he is another one of the founding members. So of the 10 people that we see performing, three of them are original members of Shanana, And they actually formed when they were undergraduate members of the Kingsmen, which was a glee ensemble at New York's Columbia University in 1969. Wow. Yeah, so they started as a cappella, and they were known for their renditions of 50s songs. They got the name Shanana from the song Get a Job by the Silhouettes, and the eighth performance that they ever, ever did was at Woodstock. It was second to last at sunrise on the last day of Woodstock, right before Jimi Hendrix. Shut your face. And Jimi Hendrix was actually a friend of theirs, and that's how they got that spot. My mouth is just gaped open right now. Really? Like, how fuck? Yeah, they had met him just like a few weeks prior. Oh my god, I would just die. Mm-hmm. And so they got that sweet-ass fucking spot on, I guess, what technically was the fourth day of Woodstock because it went so fucking long. Holy shit. And uh, Shanana says that they played for 40 minutes and they got paid $350, but the check bounced. You know, um, I don't know if I would be mad. Oh, yeah. I feel like I would be rich with experience. (laughs) And I know that that's bullshit to say to an artist. Like, oh, you got exposure. But they got like the best kind of exposure right like you can't you can't really you know compete with that like you got a chance to do something that like nobody Mm -hmm. else did Mm -hmm. and so they were the only group at Woodstock that did not have a record deal at the time and right after Woodstock guess what they got a record deal a record deal. And so they even got their Shanana Variety Show, which ran from 1977 to 1981. I'll see if I can find some clips. I'm pretty sure that there are plenty on YouTube that I can choose from. Um, plenty of them performing live, but then also they did like skits and acting. Wow. I'm so excited to just see everything. Yeah. Yeah. And um, Shanana are still touring right now donnie jocko and scream and scott are the only three band members who were featured in greece that are still part of the group there are uh, a few new members but they are still a 
big 50s doo-wop band and they're still doing their thing. Okay, my next question, I'm not trying to be rude, but is it because they're the only ones who are still alive? Uh, As far as I know, no, because some of these guys are still active doing their own thing or they just took on other careers. Okay, okay, I just wanted to clarify. Yeah, yeah, so I mean, maybe it just got to the point where like, you know. Just wanted something different, you know. Yeah, some people just kind of get tired of the ensemble thing, like, you know, Michelle Williams or Kelly Rowland. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That makes sense, yeah. Mm-hmm. Just time for a new career, new thing, yeah. Yeah, oh, and I guess that other girl whose name I can't remember, but whatever, who cares. <laughs> so, um, anyway, guys, I hope that I didn't put you to sleep with my little tangent about Shanana. I just, I love the music that they provided. They give so much life to this film. And I wanted to know who they were. I wanted to be able to refer to them by name. So I hope we all learned something cool today about Shanana because they're awesome. Oh, for sure. You did a great job. Yay. Thanks, hon. Um, and just, I'm going to go through this really quick and then we can talk about the dance-off itself. Um, but throughout the uh, dance-off, there are various songs that play and they will all be our honorable mentions. And those include Those Magic Changes. Tears on my pillow. You don't remember me, but I remember you. It was not so long ago. You broke my heart in two. Hound dog. You ain't no more hound dog. Crying all the time. You ain't no more hound dog. Born to hand jive. And Blue Moon. And I am partial to Blue Moon. I just want to go ahead and say that that is definitely one of my top honorable mentions. Lenny does a really great job of singing it. And I actually found a footage of him singing it on their show. And it's even better live. So I will post it for you. I'm so excited. Yes, you have to hear it. Um, So now we can talk about the actual dance-off. Because some drama goes down here. Yes, for sure. Um, Quite a bit, actually. We do see, um, like Misa and I talked about, like Marty walks in with Rizzo. And um, Crater Face, um, you know, you know the scorpions. And she immediately walks away. We do see Sunny gets a little irritated because Marty is very smitten with Vince. And so this does kind of lead to Sunny drinking out of his flask a little bit more, a little bit quicker. Sandy and Danny start off the night pretty well. But then we see that Kaniki comes in with Cha-Cha because uh, she's the best dancer. With the worst reputation. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And we can tell immediately Danny's body language, you know, immediately gives away that there's some history here. And, you know, Sandy kind of asks about it and he brushes it off and she kind of accepts what he says, but then obviously not fully because she continues to press about it. We do see that Marty does get to meet Vince and there is some flirting despite some obvious age difference as well as some 
do your parents know I come into your room every night? Over KZAZ, that is. <laughs> Which I always thought was such a creeper line. Yeah, and Marty doesn't really seem to get it. <laughs> no, total creeper line. She's just completely smitten with him, though, at this mm-hmm. point. And then we, after we get some of the songs playing, um, we get the rules for our dance-off because we are about to go into competition mode. Um, and this is when Sunny thanks them for the toilet paper. We do get told that the rules of the dance are, you know, once you're tapped, you move to the side. All couples must be boy-girl. And then I do always hate that they say, too bad, Eugene. That made me really sad. <laughs> well, I just feel bad because even I just think about, and I don't think it's more just for him. I think it's more just like I feel bad that people back in that time couldn't be their true self if they were attracted to the same sex. Like, it makes my mind go to, like, the sad fact of that if you were gay, you were completely in the closet because you were afraid of the ridicule. Right. Um, Like, you had to hide it. Exactly. I definitely think Eugene was straight. And they talked about, you know, McGee is not going to be the one judging. Um, Tasteless dancing will be, you know, taken off of the dance. And, of course, Rizzo's like, well, that leaves us out, Um, which she's really, really, like, touchy with crater face in that scene and then we get started with the amazing amazing dance off and the hand jive that intro is just the perfect way to start the scene it just gives us that big electric like oomph that we need everyone is so involved and I love how everyone is doing their own version like the own mini version of the hand jive, right? Yeah, like if you watch the different couples, they're doing like a variation of what's I've always considered Sandy's to be like the main one. Mm-hmm. Um, and then everyone else is kind of doing like a variety, like they're they're doing a different pattern, they're doing a different motion, or they're using like their feet. Um, and it's really cool because that in itself, uh, uh, in addition to the colors and the style of their clothes. The couple's dance moves are also unique to them, too. Yes. And I think that this was just another great thing that Pat added. It really just brings, like Misa said, like anytime you watch it, you're like, man, I missed that. And yeah, if you can watch it over and over and over again for years and years and years. And you can still notice different things. Because even rewatching from this, I'm like, oh, my God, I never noticed that dance move. I never noticed this, like, this little bitty bit off to the back because my mind was elsewhere, you know? So just a great overall scene. And we do see some people um, get topped out. We eventually end up with Danny and Sandy, as well as um, Cha-Cha and Nikki. And for whatever reason, Sunny, and I never understood, like, if this was just agreed to or what Sunny was thinking or why this truly happened like what led to this event um but Sunny takes Sandy and then Cha-Cha pulls Danny after some persisting and they end up dancing and winning the competition and it like gets really intense because you see everyone just really into it like everybody is into it and I want to do a quick Papa Franco plug here his favorite character in the dance-off is the white guy 
who is sweating profusely? <laughs> is it the guy who has his tie undone? Yes. By the end of the scene, the man is practically naked. I'm joking, but you know what I mean. <laughs> I'm going to have to go back and watch that just for your dad. Because he always is like, he is like on another level and in, involved with the scene. And my dad has just always thought that was so funny. And so I watch it and I think of my dad because my dad just always made fun of the guy because he was, he as a back up actor was completely what everyone's eyes were on. That man stole the scene. Okay. There you go. He was committed. He was committed on levels that we can't even talk about because he was in it. So Sandy, of course, is pissed because, you know, Danny does try to like not dance with Cha-Cha, but almost not really convincingly, you know, I mean, Cha-Cha doesn't look super strong Uh, and she's in heels mm -hmm. and she's able to pull Danny Mm -hmm. and they end up winning to this perfectly choreographed, you know, (laughs) scene that these teenagers just happen to know. And um, yeah, that's what happens. And so they win and then they go on to do the champion dance to Blue Moon. This is when we get the awesome mooning scene. <laughs> and while they're doing all of this broadcasting, we see Vi and all the other waitresses watching back on this little bitty black and white TV at the diner. Um, and they're like, oh, who's that on the left as they're mooning? And it's just, it's such a funny thing because, you know, obviously they're underage boys and these old women are, you know, crying over them. And uh, after that scene, we see Principal McGee come on and she's like, we have the FBI looking for these people who, you know, they specialize in this kind of IDing, looking at people's asses. Yeah, right. <laughs> and the guys just happen to be working in the shop and they're pulling up their coveralls and just looking really, really suspicious. Um, And I just always thought that scene was hilarious, too. Finally, she says, like, if you turn yourselves in now, you may escape a federal charge. And then they stop and they look at each other and they're like, uh, which that's not really. Can they really identify that? No. Okay. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So she's just saying that to to fuck with them. And honestly, federal or not having that in your possession is considered child porn so i mean granted they were 30 in real life but you know in in the movie that would have been considered child porn Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so yeah there you go mcgee yeah the end of the dance off always kind of bothered me just because like danny really doesn't seem to try very hard to to go get sandy when she gets pulled away Yeah, he just is like, oh, no, you're twisting my arm. So, yeah, so then they're at the drive-in, and we see Kaniki shows up with what I'm sure everybody was doing back then, sneaking people in through the trunk. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes. And uh, they're like, all right, let's go find the chicks. And so the pink ladies show up in Marty's car. Um, This is another part where, like, again, you know how you adopt lines from movies, and so – this is a part where like the T-Birds come up and they meet the pink ladies and they all like, they each go to their girlfriends. Um, but before Sunny can come up to Marty, she walks the other way and she's like, there's nobody here. And they all kind of look at him because they know that he just got ditched. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> I say that like whenever I'm in a group of people, and I know, Frankie, that you've been in my circle when this happens, but like every now and then I'll, I'll be with like a, a group of people or something and there's someone in the circle that I don't want to be around. And so I'll look at someone that I trust. I'll be like, oh, there's nobody here. <laughs> I just kind of <laughs> walk away and I give a look and I walk away. Like that's my code for like, hmm, no one important to acknowledge. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, what's that sound? The wind. The wind is blowing when someone's talking. <laughs> right, right, right. So um, we can tell like Marty's still not really, I, I don't know if she's mad at Sunny or if she's into Sunny. It's, we're not, I I don't know. It's an interesting couple. We've said this. It's it's definitely a hard thing to read. You know, it's not it's not super easy to read all of their relationship, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. And then we see Danny and Sandy in his car watching the movie. And can we talk about the conversation that they have, please? Yeah. This conversation between them confuses me because here's what happens. She's obviously pissed about what happened at the dance-off. He says, come on, Sandy. I told you on the phone that I was sorry. She doesn't even look at him. She says, I know that you did. He says, well, you do believe me, don't you? She's like, yes, but I still think that you and Cha-Cha went together. He says, we did not go together, Sandy. We just went together. And she said, it's the same thing. And he says, no, no. And I'm like, okay, hang on. Did he date Cha-Cha before he met Sandy or after he met Sandy? So my understanding is that he dated her before and it wasn't even like a real dating. It was like they screwed around. And that to me is why he's like, we didn't go together. We just went together. Because, you know, when you say like, oh, we're going together, you know, we're dating even though what he's saying is absolutely asinine and stupid and literally the same thing in his mind, what he's trying to say is like, well, I didn't really date her. I just kind of screwed around with her. Okay. Okay. I've just always wondered like, what is Sandy so upset about? Like, yeah, he ditched you at the dance, but like, what does it matter what he did before he met you? I agree. And I, I feel like it's because like he, he did lie about who she was and their history. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it's like, okay, but that was their history before he met you. Why are you mad? Yeah, you can't get mad about it. And I think, I mean, it's really hard to fight for her at this point because I don't agree with Dan what, what he did. However, I think that she's mad for the wrong reason. She's focused on the wrong thing. Like, we should be talking about the fact that you didn't come after me. You then won a trophy and an award that should be mine. Okay, because I would be mad about that too. And I mean, you're right. Like, whatever happened transpired before, you know, that's ancient history. And that also brings us to the fact that why isn't she mad that he messed around with Rizzo? Or is she oblivious to that? That's another thing that I have wondered throughout this film. Does she know that him and Rizzo were a thing? Because she's even closer to Rizzo. Yeah. So it's just, this scene always really bothered me because I, I feel like she's just, she just wants to be mad about something. So she's just picking him apart. And I mean, I do agree. Like, I think she should be mad because he did not insist on going after her. He let his friend kind of overtake her. He not only stayed to win the competition, but he didn't immediately leave to find her. He, he danced to Blue Moon. Right, right. 
Danny is so selfish and <laughs> oh man. So it just, but yeah, both of them right here. This is what I'm saying. Like, I don't find them likable. I just think that their conflicts are so fabricated. They're like, there is no conflict, dude. Like you are worried about your image. You're singing and dancing at lunch. I think you can date a cheerleader. Right. And they are legit toxic. It's just, I mean, I know that it is a cute overall story. The pictures are cute. It's, you know, it's a fun ending. But, man, they are, like, I just feel like there's not a good scene between Danny and Sandy. She's always either hurt by him, annoyed with him. He's ashamed to be seen with her. He's lying to her. Like, there's never a scene where they're actually getting along and, 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 able to really play off each other it's just like they're always in bad moods Mm -hmm. and they're always fighting I agree I agree so yeah it's um I think that Sandy was just picking at things that really didn't need to be brought up yeah I think she just didn't know how to go about it the correct way and I like I said I don't agree with the way she went about it um I feel like she was focusing on the wrong thing you're exactly right and uh you know he knows she's pissed and so he knows the only way to like win her over is to offer his ring and this scene does crack me up though because he's trying hard to get this ring off and he's like running his fingers through his hair because it's so greasy Mm -hmm. he ends up elbowing her in the boob and is like snickering because he thinks it's hilarious and I just think it's really funny how he's like dying yeah, yeah, <laughs> laughing about it, and then she's like, "Oh, this means you you respect me," and then tries to make out with her. Danny, get off of me! And then she gets mad again, slams the door, hits him in the penis, balls, whatever. <laughs> when she says like, "Oh, this means so much to me," da da da, and then he has this look on his face like, "Oh fuck!" Yeah, he's like, "Well, that's not what I meant," but what will they say? Monday at school. Uh, of course, Travolta got another solo when he sings Sandy. I just like the way he yodels Sandy. That's that's the only thing for me. Sandy. <laughs> what I like about that scene is like he's walking around and there's that one frame where it it actually is a really cool shot of him somewhere in front of the projector and there's just these beams of light surrounding him and he hangs his head because he's sad. I like that. Uh, Not only because of how nice it looks, but also the cars are honking at him. (laughs) Yeah. Get out of the way. (laughs) Yes. And that just made me laugh. Yes. I know we're just dabbling um, because this is an honorable mention. So after Sandy does leave, Danny and hits him in the balls with the door because he tries to, you know, force himself on make her. Um, make a move forcibly. Whatever. He is literally just, like, butthurt and singing about, like, what's everyone going to say on Monday? Like, I couldn't... I, I don't know. I took it as, like, I couldn't close the job kind of thing. This song, to me, is just so... Whiny? <laughs> you said it you said it when I listen to the lyrics after what just happened I'm like really Danny are you seriously considering why she ditched your ass like 
you made an unwelcome move on her. You you took this tiny gesture of giving her your ring and you thought that that meant she, I don't know, owed you something that suddenly like she would be okay with like he knew what kind of girl she was. Yeah, exactly. He knew that from the get-go at the beach. I don't know why mm-hmm. he thinks like he's like, "Oh, why did you strand me here?" And I mean, I think you bring up a really good point. I never thought of it the way you do where you said when he says, what will people say Monday at school because he didn't get any? Yeah. And that's a really good point. I just kind of, I saw it more as like she more or less dumped him. And so the goody two-shoes girl dumped the greaser T-bird leader. Oh, how humiliating. Ah. Okay, I can see that perspective too, you know? That makes sense also. But ultimately, again, Danny being who he is, is worried about the wrong thing. He should be worried about, he should have gone after Sandy. He should have apologized. Instead, he's worried about what are people going to say about me when they find out. Yeah, exactly. He's worried about the wrong thing instead of going after her, like you said, and, you know, fixing that instead of admitting, like, I was wrong, I shouldn't have done this. I mean, granted, I feel like female empowerment wasn't big in the 50s. Like, you were just supposed to be pretty and there to fuck or whatever. And that was very much, like, their mentality, you know? And I don't think he quite realized that that's not where we're at yet. Like, she's not ready to do any of that because that's not what she's into. And also, maybe that's not how things are in Australia. I don't know. Sandy doesn't rub me as the type who's going to partake in the kind of things that Rizzo and Kanicki partake in, if you know what I mean. Right. Especially after what just happened. Like, do you really think that she's Mm -hmm. just going to forgive it all because of the ring and you said you're sorry and, like, no, you still have some making up to do. And he just kind of tried to sprint. Toward, toward the end result, and that was not the time to do exactly. it. Exactly. It was like, oh, here's my ring. Oh, oh, yeah, now you owe me, you know, some sexual favors or something. Yeah, which is not okay. No, not at all. It's very presumptuous also. So, anyways, the song is very much about that. And, of course, I do love the fact that there is that awesome background scene where he's sitting on a swing um, and Kleiser really wanted the hot dog doing the flips and jumping into the bun. And of course, John Travolta was not happy about that decision because he wanted to be in the front of the screen during this part and not have a hot dog. I heard about that. And again, I was just like, of course, John wants all the focus. But to me, that little let's all go to the lobby, whatever thing that they're showing, I love that. That makes the scene for me. It does for me too because there's like the innuendo behind it, but also it's such a classic. I personally am a big fan of drive-in movies. I hate that the pandemic made them come back and they were kind of a necessity, so to speak, but I love that they have gained popularity and it seems like they're here to stay. Oh yeah, I think so too. I love seeing them go to the movies and I love that he's on this like swing set, which the drive-in that I go to actually has a swing set. So oh, yeah. it's super charming. It's the showboat over in um Oh yeah, we've been there. Oh my gosh. That's where I saw Grease. See? <laughs> I can't remember where where is it again? Tell me the name of the Hockley. It's over Hockley, Hockley. yeah. It's Hockley. Yeah. yeah. I, I love it's so charming. That's the first drive-in I ever went to. 
it was it was like the best four bucks I ever spent for two movies. Right. <laughs> it is it's awesome. It's really awesome. However, I will say my only complaint is that newer cars are not necessarily made for drive-in movies because they have the automatic shutdown sensors. You know, like when you have your car like not in idle but not on. Like with the key and the radios on, but nothing else? Yes. Newer cars will shut down. And then you have to restart the whole damn car. And in a scene like that, it's just not okay. All right. So when we are at the drive-in movie, not only do we have Danny and Sandy's situation going on, we do have Rizzo, um, who shares a secret with Marty that uh, she's late. And, you know, this is a big deal in high school, but also in the 50s when this movie is supposed to take place. And so she is definitely in her feels about it. Um, And also, Marty lets it known that Vince almost freaking like roofied her at the dance. So there's that also. Yeah, and it's such a throwaway line, but it's such like a shock. It's like a, oh yeah, I was almost date raped. How's your day going? <laughs> like, um, that's a big deal, Marty. You should call the cops. Right? So, yeah, there's that. Um, so, yeah. And then, of course, you know, Marty's like, I'm not going to say anything. And then there's tons of girls in the bathroom. And she's like, move it, move it. Lady with the baby. <laughs> oh, my God. Big fucking mouth. And Rizzo just glares at her and walks away. Yep. And then, of course, she tells... Sunny, who then, as they're walking down the path, it goes through every single person and every single car. So then it gets to Kaniki, who approaches her, and yeah, it's not a great scene. Oh, the tension here is like, oh man. All right, he goes up to her. He's like, "Hey, Rizzo, I hear you're knocked up." And she just looks down the line. It was only like three cars. And he found out. Yeah. And she's like, good news really travels fast. It's like, why didn't you tell me about it? And she's like, what's it to you? And he says, I I thought I'd be able to do something. And she says, you did enough. And he puts his arm around her. He leans in. And I think he's being very genuine when he says, I don't run away from my mistakes. And... She, mm, this hurts. She looks at him and says, hey, don't worry about it, Kaneki. It was somebody else's mistake. And just saying those lines makes me feel so uh, tense. And I feel terrible because you kind of see it hit Kaneki and he reacts just so, keeps his cool, but you know he's a little hurt takes his arm back and says, thanks a lot, kid. And he walks away. It's that line for me. That line. Thanks a lot, Mm. kid. This whole situation, this is what makes me want more of them. You know what I mean? Yes. Absolutely. I want to know absolutely just more of, like, what's going on with – I just want, like, a Rizzo movie. That's what I want. I want to know, like, what happened – with her and Danny, what happened with like her family? Because we don't even know anything about like her mom or her dad. Um, I don't even feel like they're ever mentioned. Like Frenchie's parents are mentioned. 
Jan's parents are mentioned, Sandy's parents. You know what I mean? Like a lot of parents are mentioned, but not Rizzo's. You're right. She's got this real mystique about her, and that makes her even more interesting. Like, that is a miniseries that I would welcome. Like, I know that the whole remake and rehashing and all that stuff is kind of getting played out, but if Netflix picked up some kind of miniseries about Greece and each season was about a different T-board or pink lady from the original film, I would watch it. I, I agree with you. Hey, Netflix, if you're stealing that idea, I'm timestamping this episode. <laughs> Lisa gets 60% and royalties, okay? At least. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it first year, kids. So Rizzo implies that she had sex with someone who isn't Kaniki. And um, the way Kaniki reacts, it seems like I can never tell if she cheated on Kaniki or if he's just kind of taken aback that she seemed to move on so quickly. Or is she implying that she had sex and got impregnated by the rival gang leader and that's why he's hurt? Like, they're, what is she saying? Yeah, you know what? That's a really, really good point. I never even thought about the fact that it could be Leo's. But then I also took it as she was saying, like, it's her mistake. Like, it's somebody else's mistake, meaning her, um, for sleeping with him from the get-go. I never took it as Leo, and that's, yeah, crazy. Well, now you're opening my brain because I, I did consider that maybe she was talking about herself but she was making it sound like there really was someone else just to piss him off and get him off her back because she wouldn't accept his help anyway, I don't think. I agree with you. I don't think she would either. There's so many different ways that Rizzo can mean what she says. She's so fascinating, you know? 100%. <laughs> I think that, like, you know, obviously the pregnancy scare is very real. Maybe it is Kaniki's, but in that case, like, her and Kaniki had sex without a condom the very first week of school and presumably continued to have sex unprotected until they broke up. Yes. And they broke up right before the dance-off. How deep into the school year did they break up? When is the last time they had sex? Could it even be his? Is he doing his math right? How long have they been broken up? They've had to have sex several times because, I mean, the end of the movie is in, in presumably, like, May. Right, right. And so that's why I was trying to figure out, like, First week of school versus when was the – the dance-off had to be spring then, right? Based on their outfits, yes. And then I'm like, how far along she, – she missed a period, so she's not even a month pregnant. Right, right. So that's why I'm like, why would he even think it's his? Maybe because, like I said, he was a virgin. <laughs> and he doesn't know how it works. <laughs> He's that dumb. Okay. Cool. But I mean, granted, most men don't know that like when you find out you're pregnant, you're actually already several weeks pregnant because technically with your period, you're like three weeks plus a couple days when your positive test would be from your missed period. Right. And so Rizzo could be six weeks? Yes. And couldn't even get an abortion in Texas. Sorry, I had to say it. My bad. 
I knew it was going to come up. I knew it was going to come up. Moving on. You know how I feel about that. You know how I feel about that. I'm very angry about it. (laughs) We are both, and I think everyone should be very angry about it. And as much as we would love to go on a tangent about that right now, we are on limited time. I can't. I would spend three hours talking about that because it's stupid. We are on limited time. We we can't exhaust our resources on that. We're going to put our voices where it will matter and we mm-hmm. will use more action than words. So mm-hmm. we hope to see everyone at the march in October. Yes, ma'am. We will be there. Cool. All right. So after the Rizzo and Kaniki and the Danny song, it's time to meet the Scorpions at Thunder Road. Dun dun. It happened so fast. This is toward the end of the school year, basically. So they've been working on this car for nine months. Yes, and that makes sense when you think about the fact that they've had to, you know, borrow some parts. Yes, but I think that's amazing. Like, they basically took the entire school year and they created this awesome car, which I always kind of thought the paint job was a little cheesy, but overall the car is really cool. It is, yeah. They get to Thunder Road, and of course, Sandy and Danny are not together. Rizzo and Kaniki are not together, but Sandy and Rizzo run into each other, and she asks if she's going down to Thunder Road. This is when we get Rizzo's amazing, heartfelt song. Yes, There Are Worse Things I Could Do, performed by Stockard Channing. There are worse things I could do than go with a boy. To me, I definitely think it's just like a response to um, all the people spreading rumors about her. So what if she is pregnant or if she's sleeping with people? You know, there are worse things like literally that she could do. And I think that that also means kind of like what we talked about, that she has like this persona about her. So to her, like giving up her true self or I guess like wearing her heart on her sleeve even is worse than those rumors and stuff around her. When I did uh, research on this movie, uh, some people seem to think that this song is about her getting an abortion. Oh, I don't know if I think it's about her getting an abortion. To me, I thought it was more like Like I said, like her being afraid to show her vulnerability or to ask for help or to show any kind of like need of assistance from Kaniki. That's how that song has always come off to me. Like I said, she may be like being talked about and being judged and, you know, even if she uh, is pregnant and even if she doesn't know who the dad is. She's going to do it on her own. And she doesn't need to ask for a handout or ask for help or ask whatever. And the only thing I can think about, like, with the cold shoulder shower that can't speak, now that I'm, like, thinking about it more, I feel like maybe that's, you know how they say, like, go take a cold shower, like, when you're, like, horny or wanting to have sex or whatever? Like, maybe she's saying, like, she'll do off without sex and just be on her own, like, with the possible baby or whatever? So this is this is all me just rambling, but you know that's just what I've always taken it as. I did not ever think that it was because she had an abortion, but that's interesting. Oh, me either. Me either. I I found it odd that I was coming across that, and I was like, where do y'all 
get that from because at the very end when it kind of crescendos and everything she says I don't steal and I don't lie but I can feel and I can cry a fact I bet you never knew but to cry in front of you that's the worst thing I could do it's so touching yeah like yeah and Kaniki is literally right around the corner and she hides from him yes and it looks like at the end she actually garners the courage to like approach him and that's when he's driving away and this scene it's so simply shot but she does such a good job of just taking us through all those different emotions that she's feeling because this song is extremely emotional like even though it's it's such a hyperbole for what she's, you know, singing about. Like, you know, I'm not going to be emotional. I'm not going to show you my soft side or whatever. And then here she is. Like, she's prepping herself up almost. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this is the most vulnerable and sensitive we've ever seen, Rizzo. Yes, absolutely. And so, yeah, she sees Kaniki drive off, and he's at Thunder Road. And Thunder Road is um, where he and Leo are going to race their cars. For <laughs> yeah, for pinks. And it's like, pinks, you punk, pink slips, ownership papers. <laughs> and Danny's like, he laughs, and then he tries to charge toward him, which is so stupid. Um, Kaniki looks great here, by the way. My God, he looks amazing in every scene. Mm. He really does. Yum. And uh, he didn't need a song to steal the movie, okay? Just saying. <laughs> he did it all on his own. Just saying. And so we see that, like, Frenchie, Jan, Marty are all there. Everyone but Rizzo is there. And then Sandy is watching from the distance uh, because With she... her shoes off. Which is odd to me. Why are you taking... What a fucking weirdo. I'm glad I'm not the only one. Because, like, when I <laughs> realized that, I was like, what the hell? Why are your shoes off, ma'am? Because they needed to give her a reason to pause and sing her little verse before Frenchie says, come on, Sandy. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah, of course, they have, this, they have this epic race at Thunder Road. And Danny has to drive in place of Kaniki because... Was it Duty who whacks him in the head with the door? It is, yes, after Jan finds the lucky penny. <laughs> the, oh, my God, stupid fucking. Yeah, and Marty tries to give her to Find a penny, pick it up. All day long, you'll have good luck. I used to believe that, too. <laughs> Same. This movie changed that for me. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, Danny races him, and even though they fuck up Grease Lightning a little, Danny wins and Leo gets, he runs through a puddle and his car just skids and slides instead of drives and then he loses the race. Mm -hmm. And so uh, this is what I thought was kind of interesting. I never really thought of it until recently, but I guess doesn't now, um, does Danny own Leo's car? Yeah, but that's not the one that we see at the end. You're right. You're right. But that also makes me wonder, like, okay, so Leo just lost his car. Is that why in two years later in Greece 2, he shows up with a motorcycle? Ooh, it might be. That continuity. <laughs> that <laughs> I like it. I like it. Because he is the same guy. He's the same character. They just, they call him by his last name, which is Balmudo. Balmudo. Yeah. Because they can't call him Leo. It's not intimidating enough. You're right. It's not. It's too sweet. Oh, and then so when Sandy's got her fucking 
shoes off or whatever. She watches Danny win the race, and this somehow convinces her that he's a good guy. That he deserves another chance? Somehow? Is that, is I that, don't know. Is that what I was always meant to believe? Because I never really <sighs> got that. I don't understand why this led to that kind of epiphany for her, if you will. They are a high school relationship. So I don't get it. I get that Sandy is maybe like, maybe Sandy realizes like, I didn't give him a fair chance or I don't know because I think she did. But even though I do not agree with all of Danny's, you know, asshole ways and everything, I do think in the next scene when we are at the senior carnival, we see that Danny did change or try to change himself to letter and he does have the line that says you know I'm willing to do anything to get her back I just don't think he's very good at showing that yeah and I was thinking about Danny's character earlier and I was like you know I guess he's not all bad like I was trying to think like how you said earlier about you want to see the positive side of him and so I started thinking like well he did join track he did you make an effort but I think he just put effort in the wrong ways I agree with you and I agree with you. as far as Sandy coming around on him I at first I was like okay benefit of the doubt she thinks it's admirable that he took Kaneki's place but she's far away she can't know that happened like she can't know how it led to it she wasn't there like all she knows is that somehow Danny drove instead she doesn't know why you're right I never thought about that either because I don't know. I feel like her character would have run down if she was there early enough, you know, like she did when she ran to him the other time. I I just never got why Thunder Road mattered to her. And that's why I said earlier about like, well, I wish Thunder Road had more of a stake with Danny and Sandy because then that would make sense. Like if it was for her honor or something like that, or I don't know what the fuck they could have done with it, but there could have been higher stakes. Yeah. There could have been. Um, It's also a scene where a lot of people got sick because of the, like, dirty sitting water from there. And they're all, you know, running through it. Oh, yeah. When I read about that, I uh, it it makes you cringe when they're just, like, happily splashing. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Yikes. When you watch it again, it's like, ew. Yeah, that's not... Not fun. Not fun to look back on for anyone, I guess. And then, um, yeah, so they're all celebrating Danny's win and they're crowding around him. Kaniki's freaking out because the, the car is all fucked. But, you know, ultimately he's happy too. And this is when we get, I guess, another one we can call it a on- dishonorable mention. <laughs> I mean honorable <laughs> mention. Uh, look at me. I'm Sandra D. The reprise. I'm not a fan of this one, so yeah, a dishonorable is good. <laughs> and then uh, this is when Frenchie notices her, and she's like, Danny won, isn't that great? Sandy's really just not not in the mood to celebrate. And Frenchie's like, what's the matter? Aren't you happy? And she's like, no, but I think I know a way I could be. Could you help me? And then they run off. Yep, and then this is actually, so before we get into the um, senior carnival, when they are giving McGee and Blanche are giving the like final announcements and you know they're like 
talking about the seniors graduating and what they could be. And then when Blanche starts crying <laughs> and Minky's like, oh, stop blubbering. And just that whole little scene cracks me up because she's like, <laughs> and I don't know why, but it's just those small moments to me that crack. Like, I love Blanche. She's hilarious. Blanche is so great in every scene that she's in. She barely has any lines, and yet she's Oh, easily one of the best characters in the Beckham. Yeah, she doesn't even need him, though. It's her face and that stupid little, what's it called? Xylophone thing? Yeah, the xylophone. Yes, (laughs) that. Thank you. That's all I need. Blanche and a xylophone. Yeah, let's get a prequel about Blanche. How about that? (laughs) Did she go on to become the principal? I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) And so right after the announcements end... All the students burst out of the school and they're just like tossing papers up in the air, which I always wanted the last day of school to look like that. And it never looked like that. Yes. I always wanted a carnival, you know, like some big, like we're done type thing. Yeah. The closest we got was field day in elementary school. Yeah. Lame. So we're at this carnival, and the T-Birds flunked Jim, and Rizzo and Frenchie are on a Ferris wheel, and Kaniki's like, hey, get off of that thing, you got a condition. Yes. <laughs> and this is when she's like, forget it, it was a false alarm. And then she screams, I'm not pregnant. <laughs> and Kaniki is so happy to hear this. He jumps up, he meets her up on the platform, and... He's so sweet. He, again, another genuine, he says, I'll uh, make an honest woman of you. <laughs> so sweet. It is so cute. She's like, oh, listen, fella, this is a line I ain't biting. He's like, that's a bona fide offer. <laughs> <laughs> and then they okay, like. we're back together. We're back together. Officially doing the back together makeout session immediately. Yes. And, um. It's just, it's it's such a cute thing to see them all together. Frenchie was with her, and then we see, like you said, the T-Birds flunked, and that's when they find out that um, Danny lettered, because he's in his, like, letterman sweater, and he does say, you know, I am, like, I got, I'm going to do anything to get her. And the guys are standing, and then we see Duty look over, and then he taps, does he tap Sunny next? You know what? This is another scene. Uh, when I watched it on my square TV, I only saw the last T-Bird get tapped. The other two weren't even on the, on the frame or in the screen. Oh, wow. No way. Yeah. So I think I can't even remember what order is in because I haven't seen them very often. Wow. <laughs> okay. So anyways, they tap each other. Then it Danny looks over and it turns out that Sandy is dressed to the nines. She, it, I don't even know. She looks more like... She doesn't look like a pink lady. She looks like a greaser girl. She looks like a girl version of Danny. Yeah, she's a greaser girl. And Danny doesn't even know. Sandy? He doesn't even know what to do. And this is when we get the amazing song, You're the One That I Want.
Yeah. This I'm so glad you shared this. Tell me about it. Said. <laughs> oh, I did today. Yeah, the little picture. <laughs> yes, I was so excited when you did that. I can't hear that without hearing the song coming. Oh, of course, of course. And I love one thing that I love about this scene, but that I dislike about the track is that when she walks up and we see those heels and they do like the rising camera up to her face, there's this nice tiddling piano that comes in and it's so mm. but then if you listen to the track the piano's not there in the beginning yes because I thought they remastered it that way but no sad face I don't know what like where did that go so I actually have some fun facts about this scene I, I kind of stumbled upon them by accident Ooh, share <laughs> so even though I didn't pick this song I ended up learning quite a bit about the scene when they shot it so Awesome. Interesting things. Um, this song, of course, was another one written by John Farrar for Olivia Newton-John. This scene was never rehearsed. And Pat Birch actually figured out all the choreography for them in 20 minutes. Yes. And it took like seven hours to film, right? It took seven hours to film at that. It was a traveling carnival. And then when they wanted to do reshoots, they couldn't because the carnival had left. So they had to build replicas in the studio just to get close-ups of Olivia and Jean. That's crazy. Yeah. And so the director was just like, I just wanted, I just hoped that they match because they were also dancing. So then when you switch the frame, you want to make sure that they're on the right side of the frame for the continuity, you know? Mm-hmm. And you'll see like on the close-up of Danny, when he first sees Sandy, the director points out that everything behind him is actually dark, and that's because these were the last shots that they got that day, and the sun was setting. Oh, yeah, that just makes sense. And then uh, Sandy drops the cigarette, but they had to do that take over and over and over again because the cigarette kept bouncing off like into other places. Like It would bounce behind her, in front of Danny, under Danny, off to the side. They couldn't get it to land right underneath her. And so finally, the prop guy said, put a bobby pin in the cigarette, and it dropped straight down on the first try. Genius. <laughs> Thank God for the prop man. Who would have thought a bobby pin of all people on that set? That guy. Gene, yes. He deserved a raise. Another note about when you see Sandy for the first time, the sun is really glaring in her face. And honestly, the first time I saw this movie and I saw her, I did not recognize Sandy at all. I didn't either. She looks so much older. And I heard that that's how it was on the set too. That people treated her differently because they didn't recognize her when she was all done up and that actually led to her changing her persona a little bit in real life after this filming had wrapped. She even admitted, she was like, everyone was responding to me so differently. Why haven't I been doing this? What have I been doing wrong? Yes, yes. <laughs> You'll see that when she walks up and we see her face for the first time, she is kind of squinting and there is a bit of sun in her eye. And the director really didn't like that because he didn't want her to be squinting. And so what they did was they used a silk, which is basically like creating a like a softbox onto the sun so that you don't get the glaring sun. You kind of get like the shade underneath it. Mm hmm you can actually see a shadow of it on the fun house behind her when you see the wider shots. And see, I always thought like, oh, look, clouds went over. <laughs> I wasn't even paying attention to the lighting when she walked up compared to like when they see closer up and she's in the shade. Mm -hmm. It never even occurred to me until I saw his interview. It was so cool. 
Yeah. So they were working on like on their toes, like they had to be spontaneous with some of these plans. And then toward the end of the number, when like Danny and Sandy are done going through the little fun house, and then we see the other pink ladies and T-Birds and we see mm-hmm. them with the wooden like characters. And, yeah. Yeah. And they have their heads in them. That was actually props at the carnival and the actors were the ones who came up with that idea they found them and they were like hey can we put our heads in them and sing a verse and the director was like yeah that's cool and uh barry pearl was the one who came up with the idea of replacing frenchie with the french bulldog (laughs) that's so cute and i love when he looks over at the frenchie dog and he's like what (laughs) i know and it's especially funny because in the next scene it's his own puppet. He's staring at it and playing with it. So he did it on purpose. Such a dork. I love it. I love it. So cute. Yeah, that's awesome that you found all those really cool facts about this song. And rightfully so, because this song is actually like the one of the best selling singles in history. So the song was released prior to the movie release and it tracked so much attention and it did so well that everyone was just so excited to see this film, um, rightfully so. It sold over 6 million copies in the U.S. and worldwide sold over 15 million copies. This was the second song that Farrar wrote um, specifically for Noom, but of course, um, Danny got to sing it with her. And uh, Randall Kaiser wasn't actually a fan of this song because he didn't think it meshed well with the rest of the score or the songs from Jim Jacobs and Warren Casey. Yeah, I read about that too. He said something about how he thought the song sounded terrible. Yeah. And I actually think it's really funny because all those facts that I got were actually from him because he did a video with Vanity Fair. Vanity Fair does this series where a scene from a movie will be pulled and the director will actually take like a pen and and pause it and be like, okay, for this scene, this is what we did. And he circles things on it and he explains how it was shot. So he did one of those videos with this song. And I was like, when are you going to mention that you didn't actually want to do this? <laughs> but he didn't. That's so funny. Um, now, if you have seen the original musical, um, you know, that means you're older and blessed because you got to see the 1971 to 1977 versions um there was so jealous there was a different song that was written by warren and jim and that song is called all choked up it was similar in style meaning that sandy was definitely being more provocative but it was written as kind of like a um an homage to elvis presley that song was taken out from both the film and the film soundtrack. And most performances of the musical don't even include that song anymore. So since 1977, it hasn't been included in the musical, which sucks. Yeah, yeah, that's unfortunate. But I mean, you're the one that I want. It really is a a pretty good jam. The only thing is I grew up not understanding what the fuck they were saying. And I can single-handedly credit my love for subtitles to this song. Because of this song, I started using subtitles. What did you hear? <laughs> You're the one that I read it. Like, I didn't know what the fuck they were saying. It was, they just, they sound like they're wooing at the end. You're the one that I woo. Like, they don't, 
I don't hear you're the one that I want. So they don't pronunciate enough for you. I was just like, what? And it wasn't until I actually held the soundtrack in my hands because my sister bought it for me when I was a kid. And I saw the title of it and I was like, that's what they're saying? I never got that. That's so funny. (laughs) But the the pronunciation is pretty bad though. Yes. And I feel like that's kind of like the sound because if you notice to some of the words and just the way they talk, they drop the ending consonants of words. Like you're cruising, and they don't really pronunciate cruising for bruising, you know? Yeah, I get that. But I guess want, (laughs) it never occurred to me to like, I I didn't know you could, you would want it to be shorter. You're making it a, you're making it a hard T. They make it a soft T. I don't even hear a T. (laughs) All I hear is woo. You hear (laughs) Juan. You're the one that I want. One, one, one. That is so funny. Well, people around the world knew what they were saying because it became a huge international hit, like I said. It reached number one in several countries. Um, and on July 18th, it was certified platinum for exceeding over 2 million copies, although it was already gold by April of that year. It was knocked down... From number ones in Australia, it spent 15 weeks at number one in Australia. The only reason it knocked down was because of Fernando by ABBA. Oh, but that's a good one too. (laughs) Yes, definitely. And I, of course, have some fun cover versions of this song. And I'm super excited about one fact. Okay, let's hear it. Okay, so I did find, I mean, guys, there has been literally hundreds of covers of this song. Again, this song was specifically written for the movie, so we don't have the people covering it from the uh, plays, but there has been people such as um, The Shadows, The Chipmunks, uh, Less Than Jake, of course, Glee, um mcfly lots of other people there's my favorite version um on youtube called alex and sierra that i'm hoping misa can put on because it's like a really fun like folky version a different arrangement love that version um and then i also found some metal versions that i'm totally digging that i'm hoping misa can also put up (laughs) there are tons of instrumental versions but The one that I am most, most, most excited about, and this just brings it full circle, guys. This is one of the Foo Fighters' favorite songs from Greece. And in 2018, they performed the cover three times in their festival, Welcome to Rockville, when they featured John Travolta on stage with them. That is freaking cool. I did not know that. I was so excited when I read that. That is so cool. I have to find like pictures or video or something. Yes, we're gonna have to find it because when I saw, I mean, it is. I don't know how great the video quality is gonna be because literally there are only three performances. It was done in Lexington, Tampa, and then the other festival wasn't even like given a state for that I could find. Um, but it is from the Welcome to Rockville 
concert. Um, and like I said, John Travolta joined Dave and the boys and sang this song. Dude, you know, that is one thing. Like, John Travolta can sing. And that that would have been a performance that that would have been cool to see live. Wow. Right. Amazing. Yeah, that is cool. I love that fact. Very cool. <laughs> I was super excited when I found that. And then when you mentioned Dave and the Boys the other day, I was like, shut up. <laughs> Fucking Dave. Is there so nothing he cool. can't do? Right? There's nothing. There's nothing. So we, in the song, like Misa said, after um, they go through the whole little fun house, um, they're singing this song. And of course, Danny is just head over heels for Sandy. He picks her up and they walk away. And then we go into our final song, which is our last honorable mention. We go together. We go together. And this is another one that I really, really enjoy. And I think it's because of all, like, the little background, like, characters and, like, the onomatopoeias that they throw in this song. And the dance scene is really freaking cool. As far as movie finales go, this one has got to be top. One of the top. Like, it is so beautiful the the colors are so vibrant and there's so much life and you can just tell like everyone is genuinely having so much fun like I I'm sure it was hot I'm sure they did multiple takes I'm sure it was tiring after a while but man they look so proud and they look like they're having so much fun and they didn't even know how big this movie was going to be yeah I mean this was a gamble this was a gamble it really, really was. And yeah, I love how, you know, it starts off with our key characters and then more and more join their line and more and more join the song. And by the end, it's this giant group of people and they're all dancing and they're getting their yearbooks. Oh, it's so cute. And like Patty and Tom are together, which works out perfectly. It's <laughs> I love this scene. And then they drive off in this amazing car up in the sky and waving to everyone and just looking so happy. And I love in that last shot, everyone's waving at them and Kaniki just kisses Rizzo again. It's so cute. It is so cute. I think Jeff Conaway liked making out with Stalker Channing, among others. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I do know that um, there was some flirtation between them during the movie, even though he was also infatuated with Olivia. So I think he was just a horny guy, but, you know. I heard that he was very active, um, <laughs> if you know what I mean. And, of course, I think one of the one of the most common bits of trivia about Greece is that Stockard Channing's pickies are real. Yes. In the film. Yes, they were. Uh, which, actually, I thought was kind of sweet and adorable a hickey from kinicky <laughs> like a calling card <laughs> yeah and uh with that uh we get the ending credits in yearbook style and we hear the grease reprise oh god hell yeah hell yeah and that is the end of our movie oh god guys i know we covered a lot of fun facts during so i'm sure we have a couple more fun facts you want to 
start us off, Nisa? So first one I have is the film was mapped out in five weeks and it was filmed over two months. And its budget was only $6 million. Like the fact that they filmed this on $6 million and it grossed so much more than that is insane. Like worldwide, the total grossing, no, we are looking from then until now, is almost over $3 billion. It is insanity. And it was the highest grossing film of 1978. Let's just bow down okay because no one even thought that it would be that way yeah I give credit where credit is due and and you know Rocky was an underdog movie Psycho was made with practically nothing Grease is a fantastic piece of art I think this is another bit of trivia that most people know about Grease just because of how recent the movies are but there were a total of four movies planned when Grease premiered but because Grease 2 did not do well at all, the plans were changed. And eventually, the third script for the third Grease film transformed into High School Musical. I love High School Musical. <laughs> I like High School Musical 2. High School Musical 1 is such a guilty pleasure for me because it came out when we were in high school. We were so excited. Like, I was excited to see what we do on stage in a movie form. And I do like the second one, but I think honestly, I think the third the third one is really good too. The first one, I remember me, Lionel, Renee, Giselle, all singing the song. I love that one. That's so crazy. It's such a cool fun fact. My next one, Lucille Ball's daughter, Lucy Arnaz, was supposed to be possibly the role of Rizzo, but her mom refused to let her do a screen test because she used to own the studio that was producing the movie. You know what's interesting, though, about that? If Lucille Ball's daughter had been casted as Rizzo, that would have been duly interesting because in part two, one of the pink ladies is played by Judy Garland's daughter. Oh, I like so imagine those two legends' daughters in Grease films. Like, that's cool. That is cool. Legends of the screen. Offspring. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it. Olivia Newton-John auctioned the leather jacket and the pants from the finale, and it raised $405,700, and the sum went to Cancer Research. The founder of Spanx are the ones who bought the pants. And the anonymous buyer of the jacket gave it back to Olivia. Aww, I love that. Um, the word grease is never actually used in the movie. Grease is, but the word grease, like the title, is not. No, it's not. But it is in Grease too. Yeah, <laughs> now that I didn't know. <laughs> it's like once. At the cast party for this film, the T-Bird actors handed out buttons with a picture of them mooning the camera. <laughs> <laughs> that's so cute Frankie and I talked earlier about how crazy the premiere for the movie was and I will put videos of it on the blog and the after party took place at Studio 54 mm -hmm. so that is pretty freaking cool Rydell High School, the high school that they go to is named after teen idol Bobby Rydell 
This is for the car enthusiasts out there. Grease Lightning is a 1948 Ford Deluxe Convertible. The Scorpions car is a 1949 Mercury Custom. The Pink Ladies have a 1948 Studebaker Commander Regal Deluxe with suicide doors. Super cute. Marty has a 1956 Dodge Custom Royal. And Danny's Sin Wagon is a 1949 Dodge Wayfarer. I love all the cars in this movie. I know, they're beautiful. In 2020, the film was selected for preservation in the National Film Registry by the Library of Congress. So that is a big deal. That's a huge deal, as it should be for them. This gave me a different perspective on Sandy transforming, which we didn't really touch on. Girls, please don't change for a guy. <laughs> and, um, so when I read this bit of trivia, um, it kind of, made me think. And then I also saw some comments on Reddit that also kind of piqued my interest. This said that Sandy conforming to basically a greaser girl was supposed to be a parody of the typical outcome in movies where the guy changes for the girl. Hmm. And I thought, okay, I can accept that. And then another thing that I saw, um, people were talking on Reddit about Grease and someone said, well, the way I see it when she changes... She's saying more so like, okay, here I am, just the way you like, and I don't know if you deserve it. I like that perspective, though. I don't know if you deserve it. Yeah, and that really opened my mind a bit more because, of course, upon first watch, you're you're a little disappointed because Sandy really did a good job of standing her ground throughout the entire film. Mm -hmm. And you're not really sure what made her want to change aside from, I really like this guy. So I liked hearing that perspective uh that does kind of make me understand sandy a little more but i wish that was conveyed a little better that's all yeah grease lightning's license plate is dxj 432 and it is seen again in grease too oh cool this is for the uh, enthusiasts uh, who like to visit filming locations. <laughs> Huntington Park High School was where the dance-off was filmed, as well as hallways, offices, and classrooms, and that is in Huntington Park, California. Los Angeles River Basin is in downtown LA, and that's where Thunder Road took place, and I've actually driven by there. Oh, really? Yeah, it's actually really cool to see, um, but what sucks is like it's kind of like under security all the time so you can't really just like drive down there and take pictures or hang out like they'll kick you out of it but it's because people can't respect things okay you can't have anything nice you know what you're right you're right there's a reason someone is the reason that rule was put in place Um, yeah someone tried something stupid yep Venice High School is the exterior of Rydell High School. My brother-in-law used to work there. Oh, cool. Yeah, he says that there's really nothing inside the school that commemorates or mentions Greece. But if you go to their website, they have an entire page about it. (laughs) It's also where There Are Worst Things I Could Do and Summer Nights was filmed. And the filmmakers were only allowed to be there for two weeks because the principal was not cooperative. Huntington Park was a lot more welcoming. The The principal was like, oh, what can we do? How can we help? Like, they were very nice. Oh, yeah, their school was on the freaking TV, you know? And a funny thing, another thing about the locations, the Lover's Lane was actually the parking lot of a church. Uh, as it should be. <laughs> and they were actually really happy with being involved. They did not mind the content of the scene. <laughs> so if you ever want to go see Lover's Lane, where Rizzo and Kaniki 
fucked around without a condom, um, you can visit 16221 Maholland Drive, Encino, California. Thank you, God, for approving that scene. And uh, one last thing that I thought was kind of cool for my horror enthusiast, Bob from the original Halloween is one of the people in line at the end before Danny and Sandy drive out of the car. Bob, who's Bob? Why don't I know that? Bob's the guy with the glasses who gets killed in the kitchen and Michael Myers pretends to be him under the sheet wearing glasses. Oh, yes. yes. Okay, 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 okay. <laughs> yeah, he was, uh, he's one of the dancers. He's not wearing his glasses though, so I could not recognize him. Wow, that's cool. One last thing I did want to mention, Frankie. Have you heard about the Sandy death theory? Yes. I love a good conspiracy, but this one was a little far-fetched for me. You don't think she drowned? I don't think she drowned. Do you? I always thought, no. When, when, because Danny lied in that entire song. So when he says like, oh, she got a cramp, I saved her life. I was like, oh, you just want to sound big in front of your friends. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. But uh, for those of you who don't know who we're talking about, (laughs) there is a fan theory that um, Sandy actually did drown at the beach and Danny didn't save her. And so the entire movie is her kind of slipping into this dreamlike state before she succumbs to the water and dies. And that's why, look at me, I'm Sandra D. She says goodbye to Sandra D. And then I guess her idea of heaven is becoming a greaser girl and ending up with a cute boy forever and shrugging right i was gonna say <laughs> it's an interesting theory but any hooters that's it that does it for me wow we did it we did it yay gosh guys this was fun guys this took us almost a week to record and happy two years frankie yay we're two Soundtrack City established two years ago now. That's pretty cool. It's awesome to think of where we come. I'm so excited that we decided to take on this journey, and I can't imagine being two with anyone else. Guys, we we wouldn't be where we are today without you guys, you know, tuning in, listening to us, Sending us movie ideas, participating in all of our questions and all of that stuff. Like, it's it's really awesome to us. We appreciate if you listen to us for two minutes, five minutes, all five fucking hours. <laughs> <laughs> we love and appreciate you. And spooky season? Right around the corner. Oh, my gosh. Where's- and we have some guest people coming on soon. We are going to have a guest again. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. (laughs) It's going to be epic. I'm excited. Well, guys, it has been so fun. Thank you again for tuning in to our two-year anniversary. Make sure you check out our blog that Misa works amazingly on. We'll have all of our fun facts and videos and hopefully our Foo Fighters cover, our metal covers, all different kinds of things for you to look at. And then we are on Spotify Apple Music, Google Play, Podbean, what am I missing? Amazon Music. Amazon Music, never title. Not title. Not title. But uh, yes, check us out. Give us a like. Spread our love. Don't forget we have some awesome stickers to buy if you feel like purchasing from Misa. And if you do, make sure you take pictures. So excited. It has been a great night, guys. Until next time, I'm Frankie. And I'm Misa. Bye.